Welcome to another episode of Box Out Banter, aka the BOB. I am your host, Jordan Christmas, bringing in this podcast once again because we are tearing the Eastern Conference and joining me as we do every week, Chris Okamura. Chris, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Happy to talk about this weird Eastern Conference. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, it, I wouldn't say it was harder to tear this for me personally than the West. I just think the East is more interesting just from the standpoint of there's a lot more teams that I think are closer to each other. Like in last episode, we were talking about there's how just such a gap. There, the Lakers, yeah, the late the gap between the Lakers and everybody else, the rest of the league, quite frankly, I think is a sizable gap. Um, and in the East, I don't think so as much. I think even the top crop of the East, right, is vulnerable. Uh, and we saw that in the bubble playoffs last year when you know the fourth seed Miami Heat. Uh, go all the way to the uh, Eastern or the NBA Finals and lose to the Lakers, and so I think this this side of the conference, this side of the league, I think this is more interesting. And so we should just start off with that um, tier one. I have I have it labeled the vulnerable beast of the East. I have two teams in here, and uh, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. And I have the Boston Celtics. And I say vulnerable beast of the East because I do think there are very discernible weaknesses that these two teams have that could be their undoing in the playoffs. Um, should we tackle the Bucks first or the Celtics first? Because I don't know which order you have them in. I have the Bucks one and the Celtics two. Um, so I have in this tier, I have Celtics one, Bucks two, Nets three. Okay, so this is great. We already have a difference in our, uh, we already have a discrepancy in our tier list. So let's, okay, so instead of, um, let's talk about the Bucks first, then we'll talk about the, uh, the Nets before sure. the Celtics. So <clears throat> I know I'm going to get hurt again by the Bucks. I remember when the Bucks first hired Mike Budenholzer, Budenholzer um, I was really excited for the Bucks because I thought Giannis needed a change in coach, obviously from Jason Kidd. And, you know, Bud is more of a, he's more of a modern coach. They brought in more threes. Um, they changed their scheme from the first year under Budenholzer to last year. They were more of an emphasis on protecting the paint and getting as many three-point shots up as possible, uh, building, generating open shots off of, Giannis's driving kick ability and obviously the fact that Giannis is just an absolute freak of nature but we saw that there were limitations to that in the playoffs last year and I have come to find out over these last few years that Mike Budenholzer is a fraud in terms of <laughs> being an upper echelon NBA head coach I think he's a solid coach but the lack of adjustments that he to me he's Doc Rivers yeah, I, I would say I would say, honestly, I would say a little less than Doc Rivers because at least Doc Rivers is like, okay, I'm going to play Giannis more than 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. The fact that Giannis registered 37 minutes in a close playoff game in the bubble is ridiculous. And Mike Budenholzer just does not want to adjust to that. And so while I have the Bucks number one, Right now, they've made some moves. They have Drew Holiday. They obviously traded the farm of picks for Drew Holiday and upgraded from a clear upgrade over Eric Bledsoe and George Hill. Even though George Hill had a career year last year shooting a million percent from three 
Um, Drew Holiday is a top 30 player. He's arguably a top three perimeter defender from the guard position in the NBA. Plus, he could give you 19, 20 points a game, along with some secondary playmaking. It's a very clear upgrade. So the Bucks have a solid big three with Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Holiday. You get Lopez back. But I still see some very concerning flaws with the Bucks. Mainly, one, Giannis is... We saw that Giannis could be very limited in the playoffs, especially if you wall off the paint. And while Drew Holiday, maybe his three-point shot will be better because he's not taking all the tough shots like he was with the Pelicans. He's still a career 35% three-point shooter. And they did, I do think they got a little bit better talent-wise. And maybe because the top-end talent got better, Mike Budenholzer won't be so inclined to play his bench or go deep into his bench like he always does. But the thing that still scares me is Mike Budenholzer and also what's going to happen in the playoffs. Because I think this is a tier list. The regular season obviously is the bigger picture here for this tier list, but I'm also thinking about the playoffs. And while I call this the vulnerable beast in the East, I think by the time the playoffs come around, the same problems might crop up for the Bucks unless Giannis drastically adds something to his game like a more reliable three-point shot. And he was more willing last year to shoot it, but you saw, you still saw that defenses were like, go ahead, go for it, shoot it. So while I have the Bucks number one, I'm ready to get hurt again. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I completely agree with you. And the thing with me with the Bucks is... While Drew Holiday is a clear upgrade over Drew Blood or over Eric Bledsoe, I don't like that. To me, wasn't their big issue. Like it, it solves and it upgrades something that I didn't think was a problem. And all of their holes, like you're saying, are still there. Like the Giannis problem. Giannis isn't. Yes, Giannis is amazing and he's an MVP and all this stuff. But he's not necessarily the most skilled player. And yes, he's been growing, but he doesn't have the skill like he, he it's easy to stop him in a seven game series when your entire game plan can focus around him for for yeah. a week uh and so if not I'd, stop very slow slow him down slow down almost considerably and the thing is like now you traded not only eric bledsoe but you traded george hill who was actually a pretty solid person on your bench unit to like when Giannis wasn't on the floor when Giannis yeah. wasn't on the floor their offense took a drastic nosedive and it's something mm-hmm. where you kind of look at it and go okay well yes drew holiday helps our starting unit and helps us defensively which we we're already the top defensive team in the league so what does this trade do for us other than just weaken our bench and make our strength even stronger which again i don't know how much stronger you could get they were playing fantastic defense anyway the problem was their offense and right. i don't necessarily think they solved any of those issues uh, again, um, unless unless Giannis takes this huge step, but then again, then you're relying on Bud to play him 48 minutes a game in a playoff game, right? Um, I do think they solved one issue, and that is the fact that Eric Bledsoe just shrinks in the playoffs, and sure. the fact that but I think Eric- I think Chris Middleton is a bigger problem to that too. Though I think Chris Middleton also has a tendency to shrink. He showed off a little bit, but it's way too inconsistent overall in the playoffs. And so yeah. when you have when you have that guy as your number unless he two, faces the Celtics, of course, right? Unless you when you have that guy as your second option, I think that's concerning. When you can't rely on your second option to be consistent, and your your 
all your MVP caliber player isn't the most skilled person at create at being a playmaker. Mm. It it does create a, a bit of an issue. So in the regular season when Giannis was off the court, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now, the Bucks off or the Bucks uh, differential was actually a plus 2.1, which is obviously a positive, but it's it's uh nowhere it, near where they, it's well, nowhere well. near efficient as they were when Giannis when Giannis was on the court in the playoffs when uh Giannis was off the court the Bucks offense took they uh, it was more true to form in the playoff bubble the uh Bucks different net rating differential was minus one point six but you saw when the Bucks faced teams like the Miami Heat um. Teams that can game plan for Giannis really well, or if they have a coaching advantage like the Heat did with Eric Spolstra, the Raptors with Nick Nurse, uh, Celtics with Brad Stevens, even though I think Brad Stevens is starting to get overrated now. Uh, If you have the combination of those two things and that coach can game plan to take Giannis out of the equation, then... It's just it just spells death for the Bucks because even when Giannis was on the floor, their their net rating differential in the playoffs was three point five. When you compare that to the regular season, obviously that was a big difference. And I'm pulling up their regular season net rating right now. When Giannis was on the court for the Bucks, the Bucks were a plus fifteen point six. They were destroying teams. They were on pace for seventy wins before this before they had that little struggle at the end before the stoppage. And I just wonder, maybe the bench won't be so much of an issue because it's thinned out now that Budenholzer will start playing his starters more minutes. And therefore you get, when you have your best players on the court at all times, um, you'll tend to get more production. I just, it's just really, it's really fascinating that Giannis is already in this position of, He's probably not going to win MVP again um, unless he shows something in the playoffs. And we don't care about the rate. It's almost like we don't care about the regular season with the Bucks anymore. But I think the yeah. Bucks will still get a lot of regular season wins. Giannis is still good. I think the Bucks got slightly better. I think DJ Augustine was a decent pickup. He was really he was good for the Magic um, as the in the reserve role. I think Bobby Portis is actually a solid signing as well, even though he didn't have a great, so great tenure with the Bulls and then previously with the Knicks um, and their 500 million power forwards. I think Portis is the type of guy where he's athletic. He's an athletic big. He could shoot. um, And if he plays in the right system, I actually in the right, I guess, culture and on a winning team, I actually think Portis is actually a solid pickup for them. The problem is, like always, who's going to be the guy in crunch time? Because Chris Middleton was a legit All-NBA player last year. Uh, He was. He didn't make it, which kind of sucked. But he was was a legit like top 20, 25 player. And a nice all-star next to Giannis. But after after, uh, the first round, and they end up facing the Heat, it was he was inconsistent. He came and went, and there could have been a few. There there were a few things that didn't go the Bucks' way. Like at the end of uh, game two, the Bucks could have won that. The Bucks could have won that one. Or sorry, I think it was game three. Um, the one but, that Jimmy Butler stole at the end with the free throws. Yeah, yeah, and I just think 
they didn't do enough to address their concerns about what are they going to do when Giannis is when the faucet on Giannis is turned off or if Chris Middleton has an inconsistent game. Are they going to turn to Drew Holiday? And I love Drew Holiday. I don't know if he's that type of crunch time score where you just give the ball to. And that's why I think the Bogdan Bogdanovich trade or it failed hurt. trade that hurt them because if Bogdan Bogdanovich was on the Bucks, I would put them in the same category as the Lakers, quite frankly. Because Bogdan Bogdanovich, he is a winning player. He's played in winning basketball overseas. He has no problem taking the big shot. I have seen him hit big shots for the Kings and for the Kings here in Sacramento, even though obviously they didn't make the playoffs or anything like that. But Bogdan had no problem taking crunch time shots. He's a playmaker. He can score off the dribble. That would have been a nice pickup for the Bucks. But it's just, yeah, it's. I still have a lot of reservations about the Bucks. I'm not, I don't think I'll have to decide who I think will come out of the East, but right now I have them number one. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I agree with you that they're going to get regular season wins. I just, when you match them up against a team like the Celtics or even the heat or even the, like the nets, theoretically, I don't, I don't, I think they'll struggle. And I think they have, I think they're too one dimensional and too based around Giannis. And I don't think Giannis is at the level where he's, like when we saw LeBron carry the Cavs, like you know the Booby Gibson Cavs, and the Enes <laughs> Cavs, like Jan, it wasn't due to LeBron's overwhelming dominance as a scorer. It was due to his intelligence as a playmaker mm. that really got those guys open shots and comfortable shots. Yep. Uh, and and I don't think Giannis is at that point yet in his career where he's still he's incredible as a scorer, but I don't think. Like once you once you turn him off or slow him down, I I think that entire offense starts to crumble. Yeah, he's nowhere near the playmaker he should be. To you know, with this, if he's having an off scoring night, he could still carry the team for right. sure. Um, so you say you have the Nets in tier one, and I want to talk about the Celtics a little bit too. But the Nets is our first big discrepancy. Um, not big right. discrepancy, but uh, I'm curious. Uh, so what it, what's the case for the Nets to be in a tier one? team so in this, the east obviously this comes, Kevin down, Durant, yeah, the, this yeah. comes down to my kind of first big question is like what what is the what is the Kyrie Durant pairing look like mm-hmm. right and like to me that's the to me that's the biggest question in this entire conference like if that works in theoretically the way that we think it should work then they're terrifying as a as a duo yeah and I think when you have the you have Jared Allen you have DeAndre Jordan you have good defensive presence there. You have another. You have a third option in Karis Levert. You have someone that in Spencer Dewitty that can, uh, kind of lead in a second unit and come in and, and provide some uh, create a block, little bit, yeah, right. Provide some backup uh, playmaking when when you want Kyrie to play a little bit off ball. Like you have some flexibility there. I just yep. love their. I love the way that their their roster looks on I do paper. Too. Mm-hmm. Um. And again, it all comes down to like how does the chemistry work and how does everything fit together? And I think I trust Steve Nash as a coach. I think he's incredibly intelligent. And every uh, every podcast, everything I've heard him on where he talks about it, mainly like the JJ Reddick podcast, right? I fully agree with like his philosophy and the way he thinks about the game. And, and I'm excited to see where they take it. Um, but yeah, I think that to me, I don't, I see them, I see, I could see them beating the Bucks pretty easily or pretty handily. Uh, in a in a playoff series again, if things if this pairing is what we think it is, I I think that's a, a not outside the realm of 
of possibility. So the net Steve Nash is off to uh, everybody's, you know, memeing and joking about Steve Nash, you know, delegating all the offensive responsibilities to Mike D'Antoni and delegating all the defensive responsibilities. And I actually think that's a smart thing to do because he, I like that he's cognizant of the fact that he is new to this and he is new to being a head coach and he is willing to get a bunch of experience coaches on his staff, mainly his, you know, his main coach, Mike D'Antoni, you know, helping him because you kind of Steve Nash kind of needs to still learn the ropes a little bit. You kind of have some cachet with your coaching staff and you, and you're Steve Nash. So you'll have the ear of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I have the nets at the top of my list in tier two only solely because I want to see one. If Durant and Kyrie will play at least 35 games together or not. Um, <laughs> I'm mainly concerned about Kyrie Irving's injury history. Um, that's well documented. I also, I know I've said in the past, I Durant's Achilles injury for some reason. I'm not worried about that that Achilles injury as I would be with some other players. Well, because um, Durant's, Durant's game's not based around explosion. Or... It's not based around explosion. And I was saying this in my Sly Hooper podcast. Like Durant, he's a freak athlete, but he's not like a leaper like a Vince Carter or. Andrew Wiggins or somebody like that. He's a physical freak in terms of how tall he is, how long he is, and how he could just shoot over everybody. His game is skill. Like, and I just think, yeah, the Achilles will slow him down a little bit. He probably won't be the same defensive player that he ended up turning into when he was in Golden State just before he left OKC and then going into Golden State. But I still think Durant is going to be a tier one franchise player and if he's back to that then yeah absolutely i would put them in tier one my other concern about the nets is their defense and like i was mentioning earlier i don't i think the achilles will more so affect durant defensively kyrie irving is not a good defender deandre jordan ever since he left i always thought he was overrated with the clippers even though doc rivers turned him into a good defensive player i always thought he was overrated in that department and he's older and he's not the defensive player he used to be. Jared Allen is still learning, and he's still, you know, trying to put on more muscle and be a better rim protector. There's just a lot of question marks I have about the Nets in terms of being a top. If they could be like a top 12 defense and their offense is like top five, I won't be worried about it. But again, the offense ties back to Kyrie and Durant, who are the two question marks in terms of health. Like Kyrie Irving hasn't played more than 70 65 games or hasn't played more than 70 games since the uh 2016 2017 season so last I do, year he only I played 20 a, i do have a sneaky suspicion that last a lot of the stuff that happened last year was because there was no durant and because he was just like eh, i'm not gonna play yeah but you don't you also just don't get sh- uh shoulder surgery just for the hell of it you know sure. or not think, the hell not the hell of it but like just because durant's not playing so no, but i think it's a thing of like i could play through this but like i'm not right. going to right right and so those are my main kids but at the end of the day i still have them at the top of my tier two list just because yeah, we have them relatively close we have them relatively close because i just think 
I think Kevin Durant will be fine offensively. I think he's going to be the same. And I keep hearing NBA players tweeting or whatever. You know, they're people who play in pickup games with Durant over the summer. They're just like, oh, shit, like he's back. And so <laughs> that kind of that kind of makes me puts me at ease a little bit. And also talk about injury concerns, Karis LeVert as well. And I love Karis LeVert. I, I loved him in his days at Michigan, made a oh, video we've ta- about we've, him. We've talked we about talked, Karis LeVert. We've talked about <laughs> Karis LeVert uh, quite a bit on this podcast already in the these five episodes we've done so far. But he also has injury concerns. And I also wonder, it's not so much can Kyrie, Durant, and LeVert, can they play together? It's just one of those... None of them are really a spectacular playmaker, and they kind of Durant can play in any role he wants to, right. but it's more so Kyrie and Levert uh, that I'm worried about a little bit too. But they're all smart players. I think they'll be fine. But it's just mainly for me the health, and then are they can they be a good defensive team? And that remains to be seen. I think uh, to me the I totally agree with you with the playmaking thing, but to me, it comes down to all three of them are fantastic off ball as well. And so, right. It's so they all have the ability to play off ball. When you have people, when you have guys that can cut like that with the spacing and shooting ability that they have, the spacing on the floor for them to make cuts and for them to create plays on their own without the ball are going to be easy. Mm hmm. Um, so it doesn't concern me as much. And again, you have you have Spencer Dewitty there, who I think is a is a not top he's a really good. Maker, but he's, he's a really, really good guard off the bench, especially right. for off the bench. That's a luxury if, to if, have because he theoretically would be your sixth man. And like to me, that's ideal. Like you're you're great. You're in a great spot if he's your sixth man. Right. And, um, you know, there, there's obviously still the big Harden question looming around. Harden didn't show up for his individual workout last night. And then, free, though. and then, yeah, he did. He showed up to a strip club in Vegas and was also partying for Little Baby's birthday. By the way, Little Baby's album was fired this year. Um, but it, there, there's a big Harden question out there. And Steven Silas also said that the head coach of the Rockets said today that they don't know when he's going to come back. There's no timetable. So it's kind of been changing throughout the day. But uh, the Nets also have some good tertiary pieces too. Tor- Torian Prince, they brought back Joe Harris. There's definitely going to be a lot of shooting on this on the court. Uh, Landry Shamit, remember they got in that three-team deal. Um, so it looks like obviously the Nets are trying to build a roster around Levert, Kyrie, and Durant, which you obviously should. But they're also keeping... The, one eye open. They're keeping one eye open out there in the uh, East. But the other beast of the East that's vulnerable to me I want to talk about are the Boston Celtics. I think they are the second best team in the East right now, as it stands going into the season, obviously in my you know made-up power rankings or whatever. But the Celtics, they lost. They uh, let Gordon Hayward walk. They bring in Tristan Thompson, which I actually think is a really damn good signing. Okay. And I would have... I would have preferred Tristan Thompson over Miles Turner, who has a bloated contract and I think is kind of overrated, um, but also a cheaper option. The Celtics needed somebody like Tristan Thompson who can defend in space, who can rim protect at times. He's not a shot blocker, but he is a deterrent at the rim. Uh, opponents do shoot less when opponents when. Tristan Thompson was on good teams. Opponents did shoot less at the rim when Thompson was on the court. Um, And also, unlike 
you know, in the playoffs with the Celtics uh, last year, if there was a mismatch, if there if there was a switch in like say Daniel Tice or Robert Williams was on a, a smaller player, they couldn't really take advantage of the mismatch. So sometimes they'd have to play Cantor, but then Cantor will just get roasted on defense. If you remember a few years ago when Cantor was on the Thunder, the camera showed head coach Billy Donovan saying, can't play Cantor <laughs> after <laughs> Cantor got roasted yeah. on, a, on a defensive possession. But now Tristan Thompson kind of plugs up all the holes the Celtics have kind of had at center. They have somebody who is doesn't need the ball in his hands, but can also punish a mismatch, as we saw repeatedly in the playoffs when LeBron was with the Cavs. And the Gordon Hayward thing, that's a loss. I'm not trying to minimize it, because we were saying that Gordon Hayward is kind of the glue that brings them all together because he's the best playmaker on the team. Um, He's like the fourth wing that they need where they make their lineup, that makes their lineup really versatile. But I think that could be offset with the leap of Jason Tatum. But we'll talk about Tatum in a bit. But what is your temperature right now on the Celtics? How do you feel about them? Um, so I had them coming out of the out of the bubble. Like I thought it was going to be Lakers Celtics final, right? And so for me, obviously the Heat came out hot and and you know all that stuff. But whatever happened happened. But the thing for me is, I think the Celtics have. A lot of versatility with their wings. I love yes, the absolutely. I love the Tatum Jalen Brown combo. Uh, that should be the focus. They should build around those two for the right. future. I love having the I love having Marcus Smart off the bench. I think Kemba, if when healthy, can still be a top tier scorer and can can still be uh, a dangerous ISO threat. I think last year was kind of a growing period. I think him coming in and out of the lineup really hurt their chemistry. Uh, that knee, but, that knee is starting to be concerning, though. Yeah, and I and also I know Daniel Tice's defensive numbers are favorable, and I know that he is, in terms of analytics and metrics wise, he is a top tier interior defender. But I think there is a lot to be said for as great a defensive coach as Brad Stevens is, and I think a lot of where that plus comes from is schematic from brad stevens and Agreed. I, and i think that tristan thompson is a clear upgrade and is going to see the same sort of defensive impact mm-hmm. uh given given brad stevens coaching and and, and uh i just think like you said, it, I, I do think it's more the scheme. I will say i do think brad stevens is slightly overrated especially after i mean he, he's definitely a top-tier coach, right? But I just think you kind of saw, like, there is lack of adjustments, especially against the Heat, um, yeah. especially against the Heat, and just he ends up playing guys like Grant Williams and, and rookies like Grant Williams. He's having to rely on Robert Williams, and through no fault of his own, but there's just so, there's just something when they reach the conference finals, Brad Stevens just can't adjust or get over the hump i think he can and i think with a star like jason tatum and as much as it kills me to say it as a sixer fan um especially given hey man, I'm a Laker fan. Tatum I was drafted it's hard, to, it's hard to talk about the celtics like this yeah but, and give it and for me especially given how the celtics drafted jason tatum with the whole markel fultz trade and everything jason sure. tatum is a tier 1.5 franchise player right now 
there was that two month stretch in the season where everybody was saying he was playing like a top 10 player, top 15 player. Jason Tatum is going to be a superstar. He's already a good defender. He's already a top flight scorer. He improved his off the dribble shooting from three, especially became a 40%, 40% three point shooter this year. And if he keeps going on that trajectory, he's going to be an MVP candidate because in the playoffs, he started to improve as a playmaker also, which I think if he continues on that, I think it will offset the Hayward signing a little bit. The thing that I'm concerned about is Kimba Walker, and he's already had this knee problem. He's having this knee problem going into the season. They say he won't be back until at least mid-January, and... It just makes me wonder how they're going to one incorporate him, and two, they've kind of there's been rumors already in the off season that he's already been floated around in trade rumors, which is insane. And it kind of goes back to a Bill Simmons podcast I was listening to where they were talking yeah, about the Danny Ainge thing, right? The Danny Ainge thing, where it's like, okay, yes, Danny Ainge is a smart GM and he makes cold and calculating moves, but players catch wind of that. How was Kimball Walker already in trade rumors when you signed him last summer, etc. And I just wonder if Kimba, if this knee thing continues to bother Kimba throughout a few more years or just a month, a few more, like for this season and a few months into next season, what's going to happen there? Um, I just think it's, I just, that injury really concerns me because Kimba is a great scorer. And I think he, at times when he draws a lot of attention, he could be a really solid playmaker, but that obviously hurts them um also we were talking about it a little bit earlier uh in a few earlier episodes but the celtics draft picks over the years some of them haven't panned out as much as you'd hope you know guys given the war war chest that we've been hearing danny ainge has for the past like decade it seems it it hasn't amounted to much yeah i mean at the end of the day they did get a tier one franchise player in Jason Tatum or a guy who has a potential to be a tier one franchise player sure. in Jason Tatum. And that that is kind of what matters, right? But you still got to fill out the rest of the roster. Jalen Brown obviously was a really good draft pick when everybody was killing that pick. They were like, Jalen Brown at number three, like the guy with tiny hands can't really create or shoot. And then he ends up doing all of those things, <laughs> right? Um, Tristan Thompson, we talked about, was a great signing, but. I want to see, you know, can Robert Williams finally turn into something? Because everybody was praising the Robert Williams pick a few years ago. Um, Simi Ojale, uh, Carson Edwards, uh, Grant Will- Grant Williams was getting time do, in the playoffs. I actually right really do like Carson Edwards. I I do too, but he he's not he wasn't really getting time last year with the Celtics. Yeah. Um, can he? That's what I'm talking. Can he take a leap? So one of these picks needs to take a leap because now they're tied up they're tied up a lot in money um jason tatum's uh extension won't kick in yet and uh it's gonna kick in soon and pretty soon the celtics are going to be uh against the cap so they need some of these picks to start panning a little bit if not for anything to have more flexibility in terms of assets but i still think the Celtics are going to be an elite defensive team. I think because of Tate alone, they're going to be, they're always going to be a solid offensive team on top of the other players they have. I love Marcus Smart. Um, loved him since his days at Oklahoma State. Um, and 
I, he improved as a three-point shooter as well, and I think we talk about unique players, right? Marcus Smart as a 3 and D player is pretty unique, um, especially when he got the three-part down. In the playoffs, you don't he's want little, him taking— He's a little— You don't want he's him— little, He's a little streaky. You don't want him taking 10 threes in a playoff game uh, like he did a few times in the bubble. Well, what he, the, fun, the funny thing was, one game he would get really hot, and then the next game he just start like heat checking. You start heat checking, and he, he would miss, <laughs> and he would keep shooting. And it's like, yeah, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like, what are we doing yeah. here? And so, so the reason why I have them one is a the coaching thing. I have more trust in. Oh, Brad you have Stevens. the Celtics number one. I have them number one, so I have them. Okay. I, I I trust them more than Bud. I, I trust Brad Stevens more than Bud or Steve Nash. Just you know, I think that's. I don't think I need to explain that one. And I think <laughs> that I think there is. I don't think I think they have the. I don't think they have the highest ceiling. I think the the Nets still have the highest ceiling in terms of their big three. But I think Boston has the. They have the big three that I think I would trust the most and put in terms of most consistently and least amount of concerns with. Right. We're at <laughs> one. And I think where I go, oh, okay, I understand what this is. And they have really no, in like their big three really has no injury concerns. Because even if Kemba gets hurt, you just fill in Marcus Smart. And I, I think that's still a solid big three yeah. where they can compete. I don't think that's that big a drop off. And then the... And I was going to say, I like Grant Williams too, by the way. There was the yeah. other player I wanted to take a leap this year because he played a bit, but he could do like some four or five stuff as a small as a small guard that I like too. Yeah. Again, like I, I like the versatility of their roster. And again, there's just the least amount of questions about their roster. And I think they their one major hole to me was their big. Like they don't they, have a... And they solved and it they've solved a little the bit. Problem. Yeah. So to me, that was... Because the thing was in the playoffs, we saw like Daniel Tice struggle against Bam, uh, had some trouble with Pascal Siakam, mm -hmm. uh, and so and then and, offensively he's really limited. Like they let him shoot threes all they all they all, right. he had all the three open shots he wanted, you know. And so yeah, and even and even if they did make it to the finals, like again we're talking about Anthony Davis or Jokic or you know even even a Montrez Harrell, right? Like I don't know if. You know, and if we're talking about the bubble, right? I don't, I don't know if they, even if they made it to the final against any one of those teams, I think Tice still would have struggled in those so matchups. This, I mean, you absolutely have a case for the Celtics being number one. Last year, they were fourth in offensive rating and fourth in defensive rating. That is a formula. That is a formula you want if you're a team looking to win the championship. I think for me. I guess it's just me believing in Giannis. I think Giannis is obviously the clear-cut, more talented player out sure. of the whole bunch, and I guess that's why I probably I put the. It's not like I had the the Bucks and the Celtics as a big gap. I actually kind of struggled with putting one over the other, but the Celtics absolutely have a case because they have the better coach. Like you said, they don't have as many flaws. I just think, uh, I for me personally, I went with the more top-end talent, and that top-end talent really just includes Giannis because you could say Chris Middleton is slightly better than Jalen Brown. It, it could be arguable. Sure. Um, Drew Holiday is obviously, that would be the next best player on that list. But at the end of the day, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics were in the finals. I thought they were going to be in the finals in the bubble, like you were saying earlier. So we talked about the Nets already, and I already said I have them tier two uh, at the top of my list in tier two which is titled on the doorstep which means 
I say on the doorstep because I think any of these teams, except for maybe one team at the end that we'll talk about, I well, think I have, I have them moved down. I only have two teams in this in this uh, section. Here. Right. So the next team I have, uh, when I say on the doorstep, is teams that could you could see them come out of the East and you wouldn't be surprised, or you might be surprised a little bit and you look back and you go, "That makes sense." Like with the Heat this past uh, this past playoffs. So my next on the list, I have the Nets one and the number two, my Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> and concerns about half-court offense in the playoffs, valid. Concerns about Ben Simmons in the half-court in the playoffs, valid. Is, will Joel Embiid be in shape going, going into the season? Valid. Although all reports are indicating that it looks good. I think people are really underestimating this team because, understandably so, the stink of last season and the stink of that filthy Frankenstein roster is branded into people's brains. And I think that is causing people, I think, to underrate this team a little bit, given the fact... I could tell you from experience, watching this team and watching the evolution of this team and the players they have put around their two best players, I think people are sleeping on this team. There is a large sample size of when you put shooting around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Preferably, I'd like shooting and ball handling. But when you put shooting around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they decimate teams. They absolutely decimate teams. And the fact that Daryl Morey came in, traded away Al Horford, brought in Seth Curry, traded away Josh Richardson, brought in Danny Green, although that trade won't be official until tomorrow, um, bringing in more wings and more shooters to fit around their two best players. I think this team is going to be, and I had to recalibrate it because it's a 72-game season, they're going to be a 47-49 to 49 win team, which amounts to a 55-57 win team in an 82-game regular season. Because, one, I think, I still think Joel Embiid has the potential to be the best player in the league for one season where he can win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. He had a terrible year last year. A lot, Some of it was his fault, loafing around, out of shape. A lot of it, I think, was the roster construction. And I really think people, not forget, but underestimate, have kind of reset their expectations on how good he can be. And I just don't think you can do that given the environment he was in last year. Ben Simmons as well took a leap as a defender. Still a great playmaker. Got to the free throw line more last year. There was a stretch in January to February that he was a really good scorer and got to the line a lot. I just think the improvements of this roster, one, moves Tobias Harris more to his natural position. And with Doc Rivers coming in and simplifying the offense, running more pick and roll, more two-man game with Simmons and Embiid because they're spacing around, I really do think people are sleeping on this team. As long as Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid play to their top level with this level of shooting around them. And I actually think there might be some underrated, not there might be a little bit of shot creation in there that's more that was better than the Reddick Covington Sharch lineup in 2017-18. This team's gonna win a lot of games. And because of the talent they have with their two best players, they're I think they could scare some some of the top flight teams in the East, the Bucks, Celtics, and the Nets if they reach their potential. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think I almost put them in tier one. Uh, they're oh, like, did you? I almost put them in tier one. Yeah, uh, to me, it just came down to I had a lot of teams in tier. I didn't want to put four teams in tier one, and I was like, okay, there has to be some kind of distinction here of 
of difference. And I think that there is, I think that I, I just, tr- I, it came down to the other teams had big three players where I don't necessarily see the big three in, in Philadelphia. Right. And I don't know. There's just a lot of new pieces. And yes, like I completely agree with you with everything that you said. And I, I think I'm higher on Embiid than most people are. Uh, I think we've gone over this. I like big men and I like the idea of, of I like low post centers. Mm-hmm. Oh I, yeah. Dude, you're talking to somebody uh, who played as a six foot center in high school. The six yeah, foot center, so, imagine that. You know, I are you PJ Tucker? Uh so then we <laughs> you know, I, I I just like I I think that the game still is viable from inside out. Um and so yeah, I think that the the Ben Simmons Joel Embiid pick and roll with shooters is inc- is incredibly dangerous and i, I think is cuz yeah you can go under on a ben simmons screen but he has enough athleticism to beat you to the spot anyway yeah. right and he is obviously an adept playmaker to find shooters and the problem is there wasn't shooting last year and people operated in the same spots of the floor as their two best players to me and- the only the only pair that is a more dangerous pick and roll is anthony davis lebron james but like you know, that's not the really thing. A is they got to run it, right? The thing <laughs> is they got to run the pick and roll because the Sixers right. really didn't do it that much. And I think Brett Brown had the previous coach had concerns about running a P- Simmons and Bead pick and roll, which is understandable because of Simmons' lack of scoring off the dribble. And Embiid hasn't really shown the best effort in the last few years as a role man. I imagine this year. I really he talked about how him missing the All NBA team pissed him off. Um, and I like that. Like he's, it seems like he's coming, came into camp in shape. He's been, he's been working on his game every day. So has Ben Simmons. I just think like, I hope they keep this together for at least more than a season because they really haven't had continuity in their roster. It's always been changing. They've been trying to make win now, win now, win now moves around their best players. And I just think now that they have more fitting players while not necessarily as talented, Tobias Harris can get his shots from different spots on the court. I think Doc Rivers also talked about, look, Tobias Harris, I thought he dribbled too much last year, which was absolutely a fact. Like, I got in fear. It was infuriating watching him dribble five times and then chuck up a mid-range jumper contested. I just think the coaching staff knows what to do with these two and how they can best be how they can best be utilized in a half court situation. Now the playoffs is a concern. Uh, I have still have concerns about the half court offense. They still don't have a guard who can create off the dribble. I think they are kind of banking on Tyrese Maxey, you know, following the mold of Tyler hero or Devin Booker or guards of Kentucky yesteryear where the team itself is holding back the player, but then when they get to the NBA, they actually are a lot better than we think. And sure. so I Maxi, they're banking on maybe a surprise Maxi season. A few things have to go, a few th- lucky things have to break right for the Sixers, I think, to be a tier one team. But I think their ceiling is unbelievably high because I just think Joel Embiid can be the best player in the NBA. I've thought that for a long time. I've loved him since Kansas. Um, I think he... I've always thought he had potential to be a top five or a, a tier one franchise player. And I think this year we're going to see it. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I, I'm All very right. high on the Sixers. Yeah, uh, I, I am too, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> but uh, the next team on my list is the Miami heat. 
your Eastern yep. Conference champions. Um, we saw them last in the NBA Finals, losing to the Lakers. And, you know, they kind of made – they are obviously – the moves they made this year, they're obviously saving cap space in 2021. Now, whether it's Giannis, because it looks like all indications are Giannis is going to sign – the max extension or the yeah from what everybody has been saying that he's going to sign the max extension before the December 21st deadline but they are still keeping their options open they brought back Myers Leonard uh they replaced Jay Crowder and brought in Avery Bradley they brought back Goran Dragic on a one year deal they drafted a Precious Achua um who is who is basically it's like a mold it's like ba- how bam Adebayo is like my ha- miami heat culture incarnate i they see precious achua as that i still kind of think their run was as high as i was as the on the heat before the season because a lot of people weren't um i thought they would be a really good playoff team I kind of thought their playoff run was a tad bit overrated because I think in normal playoff circumstances, I don't think they make the conference finals. Um, if they matched up with the Bucks first or somebody like that, well, they might have made the conference finals in a normal playoff setting because they played the Pacers, then the Bucks, who they had the Bucks number all regular season, right? But I just think in a in the I think the bubble setting was helpful to their playoff run. And I just wonder. Because in the playoffs, Goran Dragic played way better in the playoffs than the regular season. He actually struggled a bit in the regular season. Now Jay Crowder's gone. Who Jay Crowder was really important for the Heat in uh, their playoff run. I just I don't think they can make another finals run, but they still have Eric Spolstra. They still have Jimmy Butler. Tyler Hero is fantastic. Bam Adebayo is fucking awesome. And I think he's going to, I think he has a few more levels to reach as a player. I just think they're going to be slightly worse because Avery Bradley is a downgrade from Jay Crowder. Goran Dragic is coming off the foot injury at 34 years old. I don't know if he's going to keep up the playoff play into the regular season. They still have Andre Iguodala, who is a thousand years old now, but still somehow (laughs) a really effective player in 15 to 20 minutes. I don't know if Kendrick Nunn is going to be able, I don't know if the bubble for Kendrick Nunn was an admiration or if his regular season where he was on an all rookie team was real as well. We'll just have to see Duncan Robinson, one of the best shooters on the planet. I just, I still have questions about the heat. They're a playoff team. They'll probably give the if they match up with the Bucks again, they'll probably give the Bucks hell for a series again. I just don't think they're as talented as the other four teams. And I think Jimmy Butler is a tier one is a tier if there's if there's the border between tier one and tier one point five, Jimmy Butler is like tight roping that fence, right? Like he's right. tight roping the because I think there are nights where He's not the best guy on a championship team type player. But then he'll have a game like game three of the NBA finals where he has 42 points and like 12 rebounds and seven assists. Like he drops historic finals numbers. Right. And well, so to me, it's a thing of I think Jimmy Butler is a top tier player, but not every night. Okay. And, yeah. and it comes down to a thing of 
you saw it in the finals where that last that game five, he was exhausted. Yep. And it's and it, it comes down to like it it's the uh <laughs> it's the Goku syndrome of like after he he needs he needs <laughs> yes, a sensu bean anime references in this podcast. There's gonna be a lot of anime references probably between me <laughs> and Chris, know, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Like it it's not it's he ha he needs he needs a chakra refill, like you know, he's just <laughs> he need he, he needs did, a sensu bean. <laughs> right, he doesn't have that that, that thing stamina. where like that stamina where you know he has to in order to put on an effort like that he has to push himself and he really has to it's not it's not normal or natural for him to be that like, dominant like where, there was the reason when goran Dragic went down before the series and bam had that shoulder injury crop up uh after game one everyone was like oh shit like and yeah. jimmy butler can do it for a few games but you need other players around him to help him in the other yeah. game like it comes down to like if you watch lebron and again I, I i hate bringing up lebron just because it's so it's such an unfair comparison <laughs> it really is but i get what you're doing where, where you go oh he can just do this every night like it doesn't there's a tr there's a trust factor and like a even like there's kevin a trust Dur factor and a skill fact like kevin durant even like kevin durant or like even luka Doncic, right where i go oh this looks effortless and he's not trying that hard to put mm -hmm. up these crazy numbers. Steph Curry too. Like, right. Like dude. all of these, all of these guys have that second gear. So the going, tier one, so the tier one franchise players, <laughs> basically, right. like, they just have, they have the second gear. And I think Jimmy has that second gear too, but it doesn't stay in gear that long. Like eventually it snaps back and you're like, he's oh, the, he's the, su the, he's the super, he's the super Saiyan that could, only go super saiyan every once in a while like right. he hasn't mastered the transformation at all yet <laughs> right he's mystic gohan if you leave him for a little bit he just forgets how to do it <laughs> <laughs> right and that's why i have the heat probably at number five and remember the four through six seed in the east last year they were only separated by two games it was the heat then the pacers then the sixers at the as the sixth seed and so it's not like there was a big gap to begin with anyway. I just think the Heat, rightfully so, have a little bit of an inflation because they were the last team we saw in the finals. But if you look at the roster, it kind of got a little bit worse. Now, Bam Adebayo taking a big leap is a huge is is going to be huge for them. I think he is he turned into a really damn good player last year. A really good defensive player. I think people player, under, I think great passer. The playmaking. Yeah, the playmaking out of the yeah, post. Playmaking, yeah, because they put him, they put him like in in the Draymond spot, in the Jokic spot, in the you know center, top of the top of the free, top of the key. Mm -hmm. And you just and then you have it. Hero and Duncan Robinson scaring the shit out of everybody off the ball, getting dribble handoffs from Bam, and Bam right. just screens into them, and it's an open three, you know. Right, and they're and then they play two man game with him and Goron, which works really well. Um, and by the way, to put more respect on Jimmy Butler's game three, it was 40 points, 13 assists, and 11 rebounds. I had to make sure to get the stat line right because it was a historic performance. And he also looked at LeBron and said, you're in, you're in trouble after LeBron said it to him yeah, earlier I, in the I'm game. Very, I'm, I understand the competitive nature of things, but like, don't shit talk LeBron. Like, it's really just a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I don't understand. I mean, it. do I mean do it at your own peril? I guess I like shit talking, but oh, so do I. But I think to me, it's a like, thing of like, like with choose your battles, man, <laughs> or Michael Jordan, for example. Yeah. Like choose, it's choose just your like, battles. Yeah, but you know, you know how Jimmy is. I mean, the dude charges twenty bucks for coffee out of his room in the bubble, so he's kind of wired wired differently. Um, the next team on our on my 
tier list. And this is another discrepancy we have. I have the Toronto Raptors here. Now, let me just say, I, well, I'm not going to try to predict what you're going to say here because I want you to, you know, speak for yourself. But I, you probably have some concerns that I think is completely understandable. I think the Raptors losing Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol were huge, even though Marcus Gasol, everybody, Marcus Gasol was long in the tooth. I understand that. Still a great defensive player for that team. Uh, Serge Ibaka had a career year, really. Like, if you look at his stat line this year and compare it to some of the numbers that he had when he was at his peak in OKC, it's very comparable. Um, I think for me with the Raptors is I just believe one in their organization top down from Masai Ujiri all the way down to Nick Nurse, who I think is arguably, if it's not him, it's Eric Spolstra or it's got to be, it, it's him or Spolstra, I think, are the two best coaches in the NBA right now. You could probably throw in a few others I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but Nick Nurse is one of the most creative head coaches I've seen. And I think last year kind of cemented his own status as a coach because you could look at the year before and be like, okay, they had Kawhi, they had Danny Green, Kyle Lowry, blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine, whatever. I still think Nick Nurse was a good coach, uh, was a great coach for them. Last year, he really proved himself. And they still have Kyle Lowry, who never ages. Um, They still have, they brought back Fred Van Vliet. I think OG Ananobi, after having a really just up and down second year with injuries and family tragedy, I think last year he really he bounced back and is a really great defender. And I really hope he keeps his three point shooting up. And Pascal Siakam's the big question for me because everybody was loving Pascal Siakam in the 2018 19 season, rightfully so. And he had a furious start to the season, just a fast and furious start to the season tailed off and then in the playoffs once they got <laughs> once they got his patent once teams figured out that Pascal Siakam likes to spin a lot in his yeah. drives to the basket he kind of didn't have anything else his mid-range is kind of wonky he has to lift up his leg to get off his uh pull-up mid-ranger still not a consistent three-point shooter Pascal Siakam really got his limitations got it that we were all concerned about got exposed big time in the playoffs. Um, yeah. I just don't know look, if he's a number one guy. Like, no, I don't, I, don't know. I don't think he's a number one guy. I think he could be a tier two guy where he makes all NBA teams and a few all-star teams and is the second best guy on a championship team. Like, yeah, I think, trying, I think his, I think Pascal Siakam to me is your best second player playing off ball, playing great defense and not handling. Like, if Which is kind of what he was in the finals against right. the Warriors. If to it, me, well, if, if yeah. he's, if he's your, primary ball handler or one of your primary ball handlers, I think you have a problem. Yes. And uh, I know they lost two big pieces. I just believe in the infrastructure, Terrence Davis, um, Chris Boucher, just undrafted guys that they developed. I, Maybe their defense takes a step back because I wish our podcast had access to second spectrum, but it sounded like the Raptors defense had a lot of three point shooting luck with their defense. Like they offer, they allowed a, ungodly amount of corner threes last season and they got really lucky with the open misses um zach lowe would always talk about that a lot whenever he would have uh, bruce arthur and eric kareen on for the, the his annual raptors podcast that i enjoy so much and it, maybe they take a step back that way but i just believe in the infrastructure and i think the raptors 
can also give the teams above them some trouble. The Sixers, the Heat, the Nets, if they don't reach their potential, maybe the Celtics, um, maybe the Celtics and Bucks. I just believe in the infrastructure and Nick Nurse as a coach. Sure, that's fair. I think those I think those are all fair to Chris. I think to me it's just a thing of I don't know. I don't know what they are, if that makes sense. Like I don't know. Yes, they're they're a great coach. They're gonna be a good defensive team, but like what who's their go-to scoring option? If it's if it's Siakam, I don't like it. If it's Lowry, I, I kind of still don't like it. Uh, they lost two huge leaders, two defensive leaders, two, two just emotional locker room guys. It's going to have to be Lowry and Van Vliet like it was uh, this past right. season. And again, like, I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't necessarily, to me, if any one of the three guys that they have in terms of what we would consider like their big three, I wouldn't, I don't trust any one of them to be a lead guy. And right. I, don't, I don't know, you know, to me, when you're talking about teams in this tier, we have the Sixers and the Heat. I don't see them in that class. I don't see yeah. them. Lowry is more suited as in the, you remember, you, we all remember Chauncey Billups, like yeah. kind of like that guy. Like I think Kyle Lowry and Chauncey Billups is actually a solid comparison for this because Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan as the lead guys, they would just falter in the playoffs every year. But when you get somebody like Kawhi, Kyrie, or Kyrie, Kyle Lowry slides into the second slot as your second best player. And then a few Pascal Siakam games here and there, and they're the champions. But then the next year, I think Kyle Lowry kind of dispelled the playoff woes a little bit because he did hit big shots for them. Yeah, he, and I think, I think about, the championship he's about going He's talked about going to like a like a psychiatrist and a therapist and whatever and, and helping with his stress levels and his anxiety with yeah, playoff. And games. I think winning a championship actually gave him confidence too, right. to make him make him think that he is the guy and stuff like that. And right. Fred Van Vliet, I think, is awesome. Um, I actually think it was a good deal for the Raptors, considering what I thought Fred Van Vliet was going to make. Um, Norman Powell had a career year last year. Um but I do get the concerns, though. Um, there, there is still a lot of concerns with this team. Like offensively, they weren't really great. Um, they weren't really uh, great last year. I think they were middle of the road. Yeah, they were 16th in offensive rating per cleaning the glass. But the thing is, they were also they were a really good defensive team. They were second behind the Bucks, who led the league in defensive rating by a million points per 100 possessions. Uh, the Raptors were second, only allowing 105.3, and that's where. That that's where you probably see the step back, right? Because of Marcus yeah. Allen, Serge Ibaka. To me, you just lost your two two of your biggest defensive weapons, right? Right. And so, to me, there's a step back. Even if you do replace them with younger younger players, or you have some faith in your. Other I don't things. think Aaron Baines and Alex Lynn are going. I love Aaron Baines as like a nice reserve big, but like Aaron Baines and Alex Lynn is just not going. To yeah. Be. So I don't. Again, I just don't think they're in this tier. I, I think I would put them. I put them more in the middle of the pack of of tier three um but mm -hmm. we can we can move on to them later yeah we'll talk about that so and um you know chris boucher too he might get more minutes uh we'll see about that uh but i'm yeah, a big og I, fan i like og ananobi a lot oh me too um, but me too. you know for, i think <laughs> there's just something about big big athletic wings with long wingspan so, that i just so, love the three and d potential so i'm the i'm the same way Full full disclosure, I was a big Michael Kidd Gilchrist guy. <laughs> and, I was a, and I was a big Andrew Wiggins guy. Yep. 
So like if you're athletic and you show good effort in college and you play good defense, I'm in. And you right? have a long and you I'm a wingspan guy. If you if have you a long ass wingspan, I'm in. Yeah, like the Trevor Ariza kind of player, like I'm in. Like it's that's, that's why I, I loved that's why I loved Robert Covington so much when he became a good defender. I was like, oh my God, we have <laughs> a long armed spider that can defend and get a bunch of deflections and yeah, steal. Yeah, I think it's the thing I was laughing at with the Lakers. So the Lakers tried to find that guy for a long time. Yeah, in their in their uh, in their scramble, like the uh, we always call them the Wesley Johnson types. Oh, the Wesley right? Johnson era of the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, we we ha- we signed like four or five guys like that that were just like these long athletic wings with long wingspans, mildly athletic. And you're like, oh, I like it. Mm-hmm. And then they just never pan out. And you're like, man, what's wrong with this? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm still a believer in Michael Kidd-Grokrist. I think like he's still a solid defender to me. And like I, I would take him on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, it's that kind of stuff where I, I fall in love with players like that. It's real bad. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, speaking of falling in love with teams, we probably shouldn't, we're going to move on to tier three and this is the battle of the bottom seeds. So the play in tournament kind of adds a factor into this where the ninth and 10th seeds going are in play. And so for tier three in order, I have the Pacers, the newly minted Washington wizards, then the Atlanta Hawks and then the Orlando magic. Now you obviously have the Raptors. You probably have the Raptors at the top of the tier three list. No, but, uh, I have them. Uh, I have them behind the Wizards. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's uh, let's talk about the Wizards then, because this is actually my big question. Because every season, you know, we talk about preseason projections and all that stuff, but there's always a few things that go unexpected or stuff that we didn't see coming will happen. Can the Wizards leapfrog teams like the Pacers and the Raptors in the Eastern Conference with their new point guard, Russell Westbrook, and uh, the backcourt now of Westbrook and Bradley Beal? So we talked about it before, how we feel about Westbrook. And that said, I do like the idea of Westbrook with a decent amount of shooting and open floor spacing. Yes. So, and to me, when you have... Rui can shoot the three. Bertans can shoot the three. Denny can shoot a little. Beal can obviously shoot. When you have when Thomas you surround, Bryant, Thomas, Thomas Bryant started Thomas stretching Bryant, out to right. three. Yeah, and so when you have guys that are pretty high energy guys, like you have Rui, Thomas Bryant, Denny, are all kind of high energy players, and I think mm-hmm. Westbrook just takes them to another level in terms of like bringing his intensity. And I actually do really like them. Their like odds going forward. I think they're going to surprise some people. I think they're so when this trade first happened, I was, I was, I liked the trade for the wizard side, obviously, because I think they already got an upgrade. They got a player who is actually going to play and not be on the sidelines. Also Russell Westbrook, is a better player than John Wall. He's coming off of an all-NBA selection that I think is well-deserved because the shooting, you bring up a good point about being surrounded with shooters. I'm not sure Rui is there yet, but they still have Davis Bertans. Denny Avdia has potential for to be a good shooter. 
guys like young guys like you know Rui, Troy Brown, Avdia, those guys, they have a good chance now to sink or swim. Troy Brown was improved really a lot last year. Rui has the potential to be a really good defensive player. Avdia seems to be the most M- NBA ready player out of everybody in the draft. But I want to give you some stats from you know January third from January to the end of February for Russell Westbrook. That was when Daryl Morey said, fuck centers, we're going to trade for Robert Covington and let Westbrook attack the rim. His rim numbers went up, his shot attempts at the rim went up, his percentage at the rim went up, and he averaged 33 points. He av- he shot 53% from the field. He had eight rebounds a game and seven assists per game. It was some of the best basketball, and I'm not exaggerating, some of the best basketball Westbrook has played in his career. I totally agree. And... Without obviously substituting the center out, I think Thomas Bryan is actually has some flashes of being a really good offensive center just with his shooting. If you surround Westbrook with shooters on top of Bradley Beal, if you just if Westbrook attacks the rim a lot, and the the sneaky thing about Westbrook's year last year in that two month stretch, his three point attempts were at a career low. He yeah. only took two threes a game, so he realized I should stop shooting threes. I need to attack the rim with relentlessness that I always play with. And I think with the Wizards, who have way more good shooters, and Davis Bertans, he is, every time I see him shoot the ball, I think it's going in, like, automatic. Like, especially with range, too, with 30 feet range. And I think with that type of spacing, if you just kind of replicate what he had with the Rockets... Westbrook is just going to attack the rim at will. And that opens up stuff for Bradley Beal, who became an all-star player playing off ball with John Wall. And then, you know, obviously became more of an on-ball player this year and became and his, took another big leap. I just think the Westbrook-Bradley Beal backcourt, that is, that's not a pretty bad backcourt to have, especially no, in a weak Eastern conference. It's super interesting. And this will give a chance for the Wizards' young guys to, you know, sink or swim and i you know they were they had a blistering start in terms of offense to start the season but adding westbrook in there instead of isaiah thomas or somebody like that is just going to do wonders for them i'm really high on the wizards and i actually i wouldn't be surprised if they were the sixth seed in the east or yeah so i have them above the pacers i have them topping this tier yeah, so the pace. So I actually have the Pacers on top of this my tier three list, and then the Wizards. But you could easily flip those two. The Pacers, I have too many questions about. Is Victor Oladipo going to be the same Victor Oladipo before he had that really rare, like it's it the quad injury he had, um, was weird. in the twenty eighteen nineteen season. That is rare as hell. Like nobody really gets that, and he kind of looked like he looked rusty to come back and that was expected but now there's this stuff about he wants to play for another team he's going up to Knicks players of all teams after the game and saying can I come play with you reportedly um I don't know what I guess New York is the bottom line answer here for why players still want to play for the Knicks but whatever um I really think at some point they have to do something about the Demonis Sabonis and Miles Turner front court Right. I think Demonis Sabonis is a way better player than Turner. I think Turner's slightly overrated. I think they need to trade him at some point. But the thing is, they're stuck with contracts. There's just a lot of question marks I have about the Pacers. But if this new coach is 
somewhat of the same vein as Nate McMillan in terms of getting them to play hard, play good defense, then they're still a playoff team to me because they're bringing back a lot of the same players they had. I just don't know if Victor Oladipo is going to be the same Victor Oladipo. I don't know if the you know the the trade rumors and Victor wanting out is going to affect this team. I just don't like this team as much as I did last year or the year before that. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 with you. I think I I like the talent on this team. I just don't like the fit. Yeah, I think some and, of the fits are awkward. Yeah, and um, you know they still have Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren. They just I th- I have a sneaky suspicion they're going to be a seller team at the trade deadline if you know things don't go their way because um, sure. they have some pretty nice contracts like TJ Warren and Jeremy Lamb, etc. But uh, my next team after the Wizards, uh, I have the Atlanta Hawks. And um, what is your temperature on the Hawks? Because we talked about them a little yeah, bit. We talked about this. You talked before. about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, I really like what they did. Uh, mm-hmm. I like I like the idea of putting Rondo next to Trey Young. I think whether you start him or you have him as a backup, I think the having the, that veteran presence around a young point guard like that is is great. And I think that having Trey play off ball and and saving his energy a little bit is going to be uh, really good for their offensive flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I love the idea of filling up the floor with shooters and just letting trey cook filling them up with shooters and not only not only shooters but defenders as well right you know like and salt and good good defenders like not just kind of one dimensional like chris dunn is a monster defensively i love chris dunn even though he can't he, he can't shoot probably outside of 15 feet uh consistently but i love chris dunn and you know say what you want about cam reddish but it seems like he could be a good defender too um, right, he showed flashes. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on Cam Reddish. I think we've talked about this too. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I still think he's he has some value. I don't ever think he's going to be the the superstar guy that a lot of people thought he would have, like the Kevin Durant guy. I don't think he's that, but I yeah. do think that he is better than people give him credit for. And I think Agreed. that he, I think he can still be a 15 to 20 point guy, like a secondary third option. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a on a good team, so like just imagine a starting lineup of Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich. You can put in DeAndre Hunter or Tony Snell in there at small forward. Then Danilo Gallinari at power forward, and then Clint Capella. They just have a little bit more flexibility, and the veterans they signed the they were the right veterans to sign right. in terms of the positions that they needed. And there is one sneak I. I do wonder how expendable this makes John Collins. Although I do see some pathway to where he still gets the majority of his minutes that he did last year. I just wonder he's probably going to be the odd man out because then they, because then they draft the Okungwu, you know, they signed Danilo Gallinari. They I have do Clint love Okungwu too. Yeah. Everybody loved a uh, Okungwu in the draft. Um, then they still have Bruno Fernando who they drafted in the first round last year. You just wonder if John Collins' time in Atlanta is up. I also wonder the same thing about Kevin Herter because it seems like Bogdan Bogdanovich, I would easily start him over Kevin Herter. Um, But, you know, he's still a good, he's a damn good shooter. He kind of struggled last year with injuries. I still think there's a good player in there. The Rondo pickup is good if playoff Rondo 
is the player and not. I, I don't even think playoff Rondo. I think it's less about what Rondo brings on the floor, and I think it's what he more brings about off the court in the locker right. room and stuff. Okay, I I could see that because I was thinking like if Rondo becomes the player that Laker fans wanted to strangle all regular season, <laughs> I don't think this is going to be well. Like a to good me, it's, time. it's a yeah. thing of like a player like Trey giving him the the tools of like the study habits and like giving him someone to bounce ideas off of as a point guard and someone just to be around and be a veteran presence. Like I'm sorry, let me, can I say something about Trey young real quick? Sure. So let's just get this out of the way. First, the Hawks lost the trade, the Luka Doncic trade. They hundred (laughs) percent lost the trade. With that said, Trey young is going to be a dynamic offensive player. I know breaking news, right? But there's this thing where, there's like this civil war among tr- among uh, basketball fans about Trey Young, and I'm just sitting here like this guy has 30 foot range, 30. I mean half court range. Let's just call it what it is, half court range. He's one of the five or six best passers in the league. He's a dynamic offensive player. He's a terrible defender. W- literally the worst guard in the NBA in terms of defense. But I'm I think if you put the right players around Trey Young, the Hawks are a playoff team. And I think peak Trey Young, when he's like 25, 26, 27, they could be a conference finals team. I just believe one in Trey Young's work ethic. I believe in his just his feel for the game offensively and the fact that he's already mastering tricks like how to draw fouls, how to use his body to draw fouls. Um, I could tell you just from whenever well the Sixers really didn't have anybody to defend point guards but Trey Young would just torch everybody um on the Sixers roster torch everybody he's, in general he's shaking he's shaking defensive god Matisse Thibel <laughs> yeah for uh, yep he was <laughs> <laughs> that's a how about a hell that's a hell of a defensive si- assignment to get as a rookie by the way um but Trey Young is a damn good player and i just want to i just want to be on record with that because there are legit gripes I have with Trey Young. Like I don't not gripes, but I do think he has some flaws. Like he's not as accurate of a shooter as Dame Lillard or Steph Curry. That's not a knock. That's just a fact. He's a terrible defender. That is also a fact. Not <laughs> just selection sometimes too, but I think a lot of that comes down to who else does he have? Yeah, who else does he have? Because I guarantee you, now that he has Bogdan and Danilo Gallinari, Trey Young's going to be more willing to pass to those guys than to take a contested thirty-five foot shot in, in a trap. Right. Or when defenses trap him, but he's a damn good player. And I think the Hawks still got a franchise point guard. I think he's going to be a franchise point guard. So all the old heads that want to just bury Trey young and be like, Oh, he's a good stats, bad team guy. I think when people say empty calorie stats, guys, I don't think they know what that means. Like Trey young is efficient for he's too efficient to be an empty calories guy. The empty calories guys were Andrew Wiggins, right? Or somebody like that Hassan on the white side, Hassan Whiteside. like Trey young is doing league average efficiency shit on a shit team. And yeah, he so is I, good. I don't know if I agree with you with the conference final stuff. I think that to me, I agree. Trey young is going to be a good player. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he, like, I could easily see a world where he's not an empty calorie guy, but, but where he's a, he he's a numbers guy that doesn't really have too much success outside of like, I could see him being like a Carmelo. 
okay. Well, that's not that he, Carmelo's a Hall of Famer. So. No, no, I'm, I'm still, but I'm just saying, like, I could oh, yeah, see no, him. I get what you're, I get what you're I saying. I see him where the stats don't necessarily translate to wins. Right. Or, or like, you know, team like success. Like deep, deep, deep playoff runs. Right. Like, I could see him just kind of making some noise and, and being a dangerous player for the, for his entire career, but mm-hmm. not being like the championship threat that, you know, you would I think it all depends on player. the team you put around him sure. also because um, he is that type of player where, you know, not everybody could be a LeBron or a Kevin Durant. But if you get somebody that you think is the guy but has some flaws, you do want to shore up some some other parts of your roster with better fitting players, which has been my one gripe with the Sixers these last few years um is when you have a player that has the potential maybe to be a tier 1.5 or in your craziest world think is a tier 1 but he has discernible flaws it's not just that Trey Young was the worst guard guard defender in the NBA last year it, it was his effort it was his technique on top of the fact that he's fucking tiny and yeah. like so, he just said he showed no positive signs for signs defensive of being improvement. A, for <laughs> defensive improvement. And that is concerning. I get that. But let's not act like Trey Young is trash. Like that's all no. not saying you and I know I know you I know uh you don't think that, but just in terms of this civil war and the old heads going, how can he be an all-star when the Hawks are losing? One yeah. is all-star teams, who gives a shit? He had a good year. And yeah. I used not, to think about winning a, a lot with the young guy. I'm yeah. not a huge Trey Young guy. Like he, I don't. I was. I wasn't either at first. I thought he was going to be at max, like a really good offensive player off the bench. But I've already been proven wrong. So I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm still rooting for the kid. You know. Like you know, I. I still think that at the end of the day, Luke is gonna lap him around the field. But again, yeah. that's oh, not a yeah, fair. That's not, that's not a fair comparison. But I, you know, I think that, you know, it it, it comes down to. I don't know. If hit, what he does translates to wins on its own, like you keep talking about, like it depends on the team he puts around him. And I don't know if I trust Hawks ownership to be able to do that. <laughs> that 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 too. And who, who knows if I think the jury's still out on Lloyd Pierce, but he's def with these moves. I think he, him, and Travis Slink, the GM, are definitely on the uh, on the on the clock this uh, starting this. I mean, year. It's, it's obviously like, hey, we have this young superstar on a on a rookie deal. Let's make let's strike while the iron's hot here yeah and uh so the next team i have is kind of inverse of the hawks they're shitty offensively but they are really good defensively the orlando magic um i think they're going to be a playing team honestly i'm not high on the magic at all we've kind of seen what they've looked like the last few years they're going to be a really good defensive team. They'll have a few, they'll have like a two month stretch where everybody will be like, oh, did you know the Orlando Magic actually have a top two defense and they've been killing team, they've been grinding teams to a pulp and stuff like that. And then in the first round, they just get annihilated. Um, Jonathan Isaac is hurt again. And I love Jonathan Isaac, you know, tall guy, wingspan, athletic, <laughs> defensive, defensive potential. And when he was on the court, he was a good defender, but he can't stay healthy. Hurt his knee again in the bubble, which it sucks, obviously. Um, Another knee injury. And then they just have a bunch of, they still have Eric, Aaron Gordon, who we're not, we're waiting for him to take that leap. We've been, there, there is this, we're still waiting for Aaron Gordon to take this leap that we've been waiting for him to take. Um, Nikola Vucevic, it, 
who know Nikola Vucevic is still their best player. Markel Fultz might be out um, because they drafted Cole Anthony, your guy Cole Anthony now. Um, yeah. And he, and he might be looking like he could be the starting point guard of the future soon, especially because I'm my island, my Markel Fultz island is sinking in the ocean. And I think I'm about to abandon soon. Um, oh, no. Still want to root for the kid, but Cole Anthony being drafted, it doesn't really, it doesn't really look too good for Markel. Um, what's your quickly? What's your temperature on the Magic? Um, I'm, I'm just higher not on them. I'm higher than them on on them than you are. I like their pieces. I like Jonathan Isaac. Like you said, he can't stay healthy. I've always been a Vucevic guy. I wanted him to be a Laker so bad. Um, that would have been a nice. Yeah, I think Aaron Gordon is an interesting thing because Aaron Gordon, I think, is a talented player. I just never seen him do anything. Like Aaron Gordon to me is like not quite an empty calorie guy, but it's in the in the vein of like, okay, he has these stats and these numbers and he puts up these highlights, but like, what does he do? Uh, and people are waiting for him to like take that Draymond role well, or something where he's like well, a small just, ball five. You know, I feel like everyone's been waiting for him to take that like for years that next step for like five years now. And I'm like, okay, yep. I don't know if it's that. I do like Cole Anthony a lot. Like we've talked about a ton. I feel like we've talked about it almost every every podcast we've done. Where I don't know if you if he's ready to be the lead guard. I love him in an offense where he's coming off the bench and just being little Lou Williams, like give him the ball and let him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's, I think he's perfect for that kind of a role at, at this point in his, in his, where he, where he's at skill wise. I don't know if he can be someone that leads an offense. And yeah. I think he's a little too ball dominant to be in an offense where he has guys like Aaron Gordon and Vucevic that are, that want to play a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. I think him and Aaron Gordon on the fast break can be really fun to watch. But sure. uh, you know, you know other... Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier flanking, also yeah. like stuff like that. Like yeah. it, there's there's definitely some interesting parts on the Magic, which is why I have them as a playing team. Um, but some of their young guys, like I'm looking for Mo Bamba to finally do something this year and not be hurt and not be raw as hell as a player this year. He to me, I I think I'm putting him in the in the Hashim the beat camp already. I think I think he I think we I think we know. I what might he be. Is. Honestly, I think we might be heading that way too. I think people remember like pre-draft, everybody was falling in love with the Drew Hanlon videos where he was shooting threes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this package is nice, but he's still like, he's still not showing any improvements. Like a dip in scoring, his three-point shot was raised up a little bit, but he's not playing too much. He's just... He's just really raw still. I just don't know if it's this is his third year. Next year he's going to be eligible for an extension and my I have a feeling the Magic just aren't going to let him walk. Like, yeah, they're just going to let him walk. They're not going to give him the qualifying offer or anything like that. Um but yeah, the Magic really they're just not that interesting to me. Um I think they're also a sneaky seller team as well. Um especially if you know, you're looking to trade Terrence Ross, Fournier, or Gordon. I think those are the nice, attractive contracts to have. Um, they they're just a they're just a weird team on offense, but defensively, I have no doubt Steve Clifford's going to make them a hellish defensive team. Um, but uh, are you ready to go to tier four? I am. This is my most excited tier. This is uh, also, I think, this is my best work in terms of naming something. I called <laughs> it tier four 
Tier four, those extra fries you find at the bottom of the bag. And we all know when we order fast food, we get that large fry and run out. We're just like, damn it, that was fast. And then you look in the bag, you're like, oh, there's some more fries. I got one left. You're like, yeah, you have one or two, you know? And it could either be still fresh and hot or it's cold. And that's how I kind of think of the Charlotte Hornets and the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, we talked about the Hornets a little bit last week. I think LaMelo Ball has the highest ceiling out of anyone in this draft class, this past draft class that we saw. Um, we both sung they, the praises of LaMelo Ball. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, we love the Ball brothers. Uh, absolutely. And we'll talk about I, one in a second. <laughs> and I think James Borrego is a good coach. Um, they seem like they're going to be doing some interesting stuff. There's a lot of stuff about PJ Washington now playing the center, which. My whole thing is, and you know, people have said this before, so I'm not coming up with anything new. If you're going to suck, at least be fun. And I think this Hornets team is going to be fun. I have, I have them as a league top league pass team this year. Um, I just think the combination of Lamelo Ball, Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier actually had a solid year last year, even though I think he's overpaid. Um, Miles Bridges is a good young player. And so is P.J. Washington. He's P.J. Washington's an interesting player to me because he played power forward a lot last year. Um, but he showed flashes of being just the stretch big, and he has a long enough wingspan to bang with bigs down low. And I just wonder, I, I'm just interested to see how the P.J. Washington, you know, center experiment works out. Uh, because if it does work out and you utilize his shooting and stuff, the the Hornets are going to be really fun offensively this year. You know, they, there's definitely um, questions about, you know, do they have enough size or whatever? They're going to be bad. Who cares? It's all about the young guys that are going to play. Um, you know, you shouldn't really be caring too much about, like, should Cody Zeller and Biggs and Bismack Biombo start because it because they're true centers it doesn't matter i would i would do what james borrego is doing and just get weird and freaky with it you know uh, how do you what's your what is your expert opinion on the hornets aka <laughs> the extra fry at the at the bottom of the bag i i couldn't agree with you more i want i want to see them get weird i want them to play Lamelo at center and let him play like the magic johnson <laughs> point forward uh, just do whatever man yeah like, like, i just want to see them try stuff and th- that's why and we criticized them for this before but i don't know why you sign gordon haywood to this deal it doesn't make any sense to me it doesn't i don't know there's no, there's no reasonable. I don't sense. think the contract makes sense. I think offensively, though, I think he is actually a good player to have on the court with all the young guys. I think he's a good offensive player that could kind of fit everything that they need. Sure, but I mean, to me, I'd rather just like tank. Like what? Like there's no reason. Kate Cunningham's in this draft. Like I, I agree. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. I think we said last episode or two episodes ago that me and you would have just tanked again because these next three draft classes are going to be monstrous. Yo, but let Lamelo cook. Let Lamelo have full freedom because again, I don't. As much as I think they're going to give Lamelo a long leash, I think that giving him Gordon Hayward, I think that's a little bit of a not a crutch, but I think it makes things easier for him. Where I don't. I don't want that. I want LaMelo to just like have the full freedom and creativity Yeah, where, you know, I don't want him to have to feel like he needs to give Gordon Hayward the ball or he needs to get, you know, he needs to, 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 he needs to feed the veteran superstar, right? Quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the best thing for his development as a, as 
creative a point guard as he is, right? Right. Um, but yeah, but I, yeah just, I, that's I, definitely a Michael Jordan wanting to not lose again. You know? Yeah, his, it's Jordan trying not to not to lose, but at the same time, like Cade Cunningham. <laughs> yeah, no, Cade, Cun- dude. Yeah, just watching these, you know, these the early part of this college season. I've been watching uh, mostly OSU and. Dude, he has that shot figured out. Like he's got to be the he's the clear cut number one player to be. Like so, yeah. The last time we talked about him, I said he's six six and he has to figure out his shot. But otherwise, everything else is there. He's and they figured out to, the shot so far. He's grown to <laughs> six eight, and he now has figured out the shot. I think it's. I think the release is still a little slow. I think the mechanics need a little fine tuning. But I think. But I think in the NBA, he's going to be fine. It's going to be fine too. Yeah, like he's already like we've said. Like people have said, he needs to work on his pull up three. Well, I've been watching the early part of the college season. That pull up three looks fine to me. Like, yeah, <laughs> and he might not have the best burst or whatever, but it's the same shit we said with Luka Doncic, and I didn't care about that. Like the dude he's, knows how to. He has get a feel. He has, he has a, feel. a feel. He's strong, and the thing that I love is he's six eight now. And he's playing in the post. I'm a big fan of guards playing in the post. Yeah, and also I come from, I come from the, the the Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant era of yo yep, playing the T-Mac, post. T Mac, the T yeah, Mac, the, yep, yep. the Steve Smiths, like playing yeah. the post, right? <laughs> Steve Smith, yeah, the 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 Smitty, <laughs> the Smitty, yeah. You gotta like play in the post, bully bully the guard, bully when the tiny six, guard. Eight, yep. When you're six eight and you're guard, you bully the tiny guard. Yep, exa- and Cade Cunningham has like all of that, and that's a player like if you pair Lamelo with Cade, oh my god, like yeah, dude, <laughs> like the Hornets will be set for the future. Like I don't know, like it, it. I get the Hayward signing in theory in terms of on court fit. I I would not have given. I would not have even touched hayward with a 10-foot pole like honestly if i were the hornets but you know that is that is the reality we're in right now and even though they have hayward the hornets still have a lot of young talent they might be bad again this year they might be a top 10 lottery team which means they will have odds at least to get the number one pick so maybe but i would have just you know tanked um the other team at the bottom of the bag the Chicago Bulls, and I don't know why I'm doing this to myself again because I, I like, like the Bulls. The Bulls. I like the <laughs> Bulls' young talent, but I like that they hired Arturas away from Denver. They finally have pushed Garpax to the side. Arturas is running basketball operations now. And if you look at the team the Nuggets have fielded the last few years, I think Bulls fans should feel pretty comfortable about their new their new leadership at the top. Billy Donovan, I think, is a good coach. Um, how good? I don't know, but any, you could have, the Bulls could have hired you or me and it would have been an upgrade over Jim Boylan. Like he is literally the worst coach I have ever seen. Um, not just from a schematic standpoint, but from how he runs the team, how players just didn't respond to him, how the Bulls had to have a freaking leadership council last year and Zach Lowe made 5,000 jokes about that. Who's in the leadership council? Is it Zach Levine? You know, like, why are we having leadership councils? Like, what is this, my open middle school team? Like, yeah. The way Jim Boylan just ran things really rubbed me the wrong way. He told Wendell Carter not to shoot threes, even though you shouldn't limit an offensive prospect like that or Lori Marketing. And Kobe White 
everybody wanted Kobe White to start. He was having like a 15-game stretch where he was showing that he was the scorer that he was at North Carolina. And then he starts a game, and then the pandemic hit <laughs> right after he got his first start, which yeah. kind of stuck for him. Um, Zach Levine, we're in really the, we're good. In the- we're in the 10th year of Zach Levine's young prospect era. <laughs> He's still a really good offensive player, but yeah, if I have to hear another thing about Zach Levine making strides on defense and then see him get backdoored 50,000 times a year, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, but I think Billy Donovan gives him offensive structure. And I think he's he's already talked about Wendell Carter shooting threes, being more of a passer because he had comparisons to a more athletic Al Horford, right? And you could see that in terms of how he thought the game, just the little things that he did on the court at Duke, uh, even though he was playing with Bagley and a few other people that were cramping the court for him. He talked about Laurie Marketing bringing the ball up the court um, and using him more as a versatile offensive player. I just have a lot more faith this time around with the infrastructure that the Bulls can finally at least bring it together and show that they have something. So maybe not battle of the bottom seeds. They might scrap for a play-in seed, but at the end of the day, they don't have enough playmaking for me. I did not think Patrick Williams was a good pick. I thought they should have went with Obdia, like I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, Obdia He's would have tied them all together. He was the rug in the Big Lebowski that tied the room <laughs> yeah. together. That's what I. That's the comparison I brought up. Um, but it's really true. You know, I still like I still like the Bulls' talent, but. I don't like them enough to be a playing team. Fair. Uh, I I I like everything around them too. I do like Otto Porter Jr. Obviously, again, a long wing uh, with has to be healthy. He only played fourteen games last year. Yeah, but I I, just, I like him. Uh, I I don't. I agree with you that Avdia would have been the better pick. I think Patrick Williams does help them defensively, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think that that's something that they desperately needed. I think they have a lot of offensive firepower. It's just not cohesive offensive firepower. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, you know, Obvia obviously would have tied that all together, but I think that the defensively it does give them a huge plus. But mm-hmm. overall, yeah, I, I agree with you. I like their talent. I like where they're at. I don't I don't know if this is the year they figure it out. I think they're still a couple pieces away, but I think this is a good year for their young guys to show us what they have and like see, okay, is the potential of all of this that we think you guys are, are is this true or is it you know, is it false? And so we're going to see that this year. Tier five. I don't want to talk about <laughs> all the teams here. I I know I said earlier we were probably going to before before we got on air. Uh, we, I know talked we, were, next, we talked about the Cavs last week. So we, we talked about talk- the Cavs last or we talked about the Cavs the week before last week. The Knicks. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but the Pistons, we talked about them a little bit, but I still don't. The Pistons, they kind of tie into my second big question. Um, which teams are going to be sellers at the trade deadline? And something just tells me, I just, the Pistons offseason was so batshit insane that I just have to think. There's a, there's <laughs> just, a deeper plan here. <laughs> I just have to think there's a deeper plan here. I don't get it. Like, are they hoarding? all the bigs so they could be sellers at the trade deadline because that's the only thing I'm thinking of right now because that's what I would do like look Jeremy Grant signed a 60 year or 60 year sign that would be really bad that, signed a 60, that he signed a 60 million dollar contract 
Um, they signed Mason Plumley. They signed Jaleel Okafor. They signed all these bigs, drafted Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart. They still have Blake Griffin under contract. I just... <laughs> I just have to think that there is a bigger, deeper plan here. Like I, <laughs> the plan is, the plan is, hear me out. Their plan is give Leangelo Ball the ball, let him <laughs> jack up threes, and then just grab rebounds and put backs. <laughs> That's the they signed Leangelo Ball to a ten day contract. Congrats to him, by the way. And, and shout out Levar Ball. It's, it's a it's a year contract. It's a it's a guarantee year contract, not ten. Is it a guarantee? Not- is it a guaranteed? I don't know if it's guaranteed, but it, it is it is an NBA contract. It is not a two-way contract. It is a full Oh, yeah, NBA you're right. It's just, it, is a one, it, is, it is a one-year contract. I, you're right. Yeah. You're right about that. Um, so I think it's non-guaranteed. It's non-guaranteed. Right. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, they're not going to cut him. What are they going to cut him for? <laughs> I, I just... I, I just don't know what the Pistons are doing, dude. Like, Mason Plumlee, six... It, I keep, think, I keep thinking of mom. I want a, I want a lamello ball. We have a lamello ball at home. <laughs> Leangelo ball. <laughs> oh my god! And then they, I mean, Seku Dimboya showed some flashes last year. So I like I like him. I like Sadiq Bay. I like I Killian to, Hayes. I the like, thing they had a good draft, and then they do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, this comes down to the thing of like, I have a bunch of. Seku Demboya cards because I was like, oh, I think he has, but I think he has like the Giannis type potential of like the player that no one knows about, but it's highly athletic, long, and can just get to the basket. And I was like, that could be a guy where I was like, down the line, he could be, you know, down the line, you could sell those cards for, yeah, get get some PSA grades on those cards. And yeah, and (laughs) so, you know, I have a couple that are that have PSA grades on them. And I was like, after this offseason, I was like, it might be time to flip those cards. And not and not through Seku and it's not Seku Demboya's fault. No, it, not at all. It, it, it's it's I don't know what the fuck Troy Reaver is doing. I have to think they're. I, I'm trying to. I was like looking at teams who might be buyers for big men at the trade deadline, and I'm like looking, and it's like the Bucks, no, the Celtics, no, Nets, no, Sixers, no, Heat, nope. The only team Rap- I can think of is the Clippers. Yeah, the the Clippers are the only option and i just i i just don't i don't know uh but i also think the pacers are a sneaky seller at the trade deadline also like i was mentioning earlier um the magic too um there i think the east has a lot more sellers the question is are there going to be enough buyers and for the pistons like well they were it's like it's like they it's like they bought guys to flip but they bought cheap guys that no one wants <laughs> so this tier five we're just going to list the order of the teams the tier five i tiered it i called it we'll watch no more than 10 games dot 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 probably and i have i rank it Cavs, knicks and pistons um i'll watch actually, 10 games if on accident i'll watch i'll watch probably more Cavs games because i do listen to locked on Cavs, and one of my buddies does cover the Cavs, and uh they they're just interesting in terms of just they're trying to <laughs> these are these are teams that i'm only watching if they're playing another team that i want to watch exactly exactly we're gonna we're probably yeah just watching 10 or 15 games by accident the knicks i kind of want to see thibodeau scream ice 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 for the entire game again um so maybe i'll watch a few knicks games see him run rj barrett into the ground averaging 45 minutes a game um the pistons Ooh. i'm not gonna watch 
<laughs> like I just don't know how it's going to work. Um, I'll watch Pistons games, obviously, but I say that tongue in cheek. But I just don't know what the hell they're what the hell they're doing. They want to sell um, jerseys that say "ball" on the back. <laughs> I mean, hey, shout out Lavar Ball because he said his three boys were going to be in the NBA, and look where we're at now. So <laughs> I I never doubted that for a second. There, I doubted it a little bit about Leangelo, but you know he's well, he's in. I think we talked about this, Leangelo. The weird part about Leangelo was Leangelo was the most advanced brother physically in high school. Like he was the bigger, stronger brother. Yeah, he was the bigger. Yeah, he was the bigger one. Yeah, he was probably and, probably played football. I imagine. And so and so when you look at them in high school, when Lavar started talking, you're like, man, uh, Leangelo might be the best ball brother. Like if he physically yeah. continues to grow like this, and then he just stopped growing. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my. That's like uh, a real quick story before we go. Um, my little brother, he's a uh, he's he just turned uh, twenty seven, but uh, he is six eight, and I am six feet flat, and Ooh. he hates sports, which is the most fucked up thing about all of this. <laughs> Because I stopped playing basketball my junior, right before my junior year of high school. Because one, how many six feet centers do you see? And two, I kind of I didn't get tired of it, but I just I just didn't want to play for that particular high school. Sure. Uh, but uh, I also knew that I knew my I knew I wasn't gonna go anywhere. But if I was six eight, <laughs> I'm not saying I would have made it to the NBA, but I definitely would have played college. It, I don't know if it's division i have ride the bench in division one or i come off the bench in division two but i would have been playing at some college um but it's just funny how it's a cruel twist of faith where the big brother is the short one and my brother who hates sports is the six eight (laughs) giant behemoth (laughs) yeah but um that's enough about my uh old playing days of yesteryear um that's all the tiers we have. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, anything, any tertiary thoughts about the East before we uh, sign off here? No, I just, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think this, the thing is that there's such a huge gap between the top teams and the bottom teams. Like tier one, two, the gap between tiers one and two, and then tier three is huge. Yeah, it really, it really is. And uh, I'm glad that there wasn't like a clear tier in the East like there was with the West. Um, because it, it just made for more. I just think some of the, the Bucks and the Celtics at least are very vulnerable. So that was kind of good for you know the content and stuff like that. But um, that's it for today's episode. I think next week's episode. Granted, a uh, Chris is able to recover in time from his wisdom teeth being pulled out. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it, we'll see. But next week should be fun. We're probably going to come up with the uh, some hot takes that will break the internet. Not really, but hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, this was fun. I can't wait for the season to start, man. This is going to be a. Uh, We're is so close. Be, yeah, we are very close. Preseasons next week. Everybody's getting training camp in right now. But uh. That's it for today's podcast. Uh, Tune in next Tuesday. And uh, until then, we'll uh, we'll see you then. The B.O.B.